What's up, guys? This is Austin Current. Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. This is the one-stop shop for all things coaching. We specifically talk a lot about training and nutrition. That is our focus. However, we do not stop there. We take it a step further, and we dive heavily into entrepreneurship, lifestyle, and personal development. So you're going to learn a lot of things about how to grow as an individual. That's our focus with this show. If you are new to the podcast, please do me a favor. Go into the show notes and do two different things. Check out the top four podcasts we have ever recorded. That's going to be the Nutrition FAQ, the Training FAQ, Nutritional Periodization, which is something I'm known for inside of coaching, and then last but not least, my personal journey into the fitness space. The second thing you need to do is head over to boomboomformance.com or click the link in the description and go download your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is based on nutrition principles from some of the top scientists and researchers in the industry, and this literally provides you the entire blueprint of how to set up your nutrition for fat loss, muscle gain, or performance. Like I literally take care of everything for you inside of this, and I want you to have have it completely free. Grab it by clicking the link in the description or heading over to boomboomforms.com. Today's guest is Austin Current, owner of Physique Development. Austin is a very well-known content creator who specifically focuses on the science-based approach of taking your body through a full range of motion to achieve muscular adaptation. Now that sounds really fancy and sciencey, but the reality is is he's a smart dude and programs in a very intelligent way to make sure you're actually building muscle instead of doing tons of junk volume and just banging up your joints. His approach to anatomy and the science of how your body moves really does help you understand how to activate your muscle and understand how to put your muscle under the stress instead of your joint while attacking your volume-based programs. So this is somebody who's going to break down a lot of coaching-based principles for us today, and it's somebody I highly suggest you guys go check out on Instagram or YouTube so you can learn about how your body is supposed to move through these ranges of motion and through these exercises. Um, But we don't just talk about that today. We actually do get into some life principles. We get into his personal journey, his personal story, um, some different philosophies he has, again, about life, about coaching, about research and evidence-based approaches, about volume inside of training, and about program design as a whole. So this is a very good conversation, and I highly suggest you take notes um, and implement those into your training. Now, guys, before we get into the show, make sure you do me a quick favor. Two things. Head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. It helps us grow the podcast, and it helps me produce more content for you to get better results completely free. The second thing you can do is share this with a friend, and the best way to do that is to actually take a screenshot of your phone right now, go over to Instagram, post it on your story, and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Austin at Austin Current so we can see who's listening to the show, we can communicate with you guys, and we can share it to help grow even more. I appreciate you guys being here, and without any further ado, let's get on to the show with Austin Current. All right, Austin Current, man, welcome to the podcast. I'm, I'm pumped to have you here, dude. I've been watching for afar from, actually not that long, but uh, Sam Miller, my good friend, was like, yo, you got to follow this guy. I think you guys would get along. You should do a podcast. And of course, I just did a bunch of background check on you and kind of looked into all your education and all your content. Really impressed, dude. I think you're one of the guys out there that's doing things right. And the more I see you put out, the more I realize we actually have a lot in common and we have a lot of the same philosophies, which I always love because it's just great seeing other people doing the right things. And I think in in an industry full of so much bullshit, so many gimmicks and just so many fads and just marketing hyped up schemes, it's 
few and far between that we find really good coaches that are putting out really valuable information for free and just trying to educate people. And you're one of them. So I'm excited to have you here, man. Um, and for everybody listening who doesn't know Austin current, can you fill us in with uh, kind of who you are in a nutshell? Yeah. The cl- thank you for the introduction. Um, the cliff notes on me basically is uh, first and foremost, I'm a coach and then uh, second, I'd say I'm an educator. And third, I'd say I'm a, a competitive physique athlete. Um, and so those are kind of my priorities of like operations, if you will. And so in terms of what I do for a living, I coach full time and, uh, and then I spent all of last year, like traveling around and educating, uh, other personal trainers, uh, mainly on like exercise mechanics and, um, more of the functional anatomy. Uh, I think as trainers, we know a lot of anatomy, like we learn in our undergraduate degrees or our certifications, but we rarely understand how anatomy works in like a three-dimensional way. And we typically learn anatomy in a very one-dimensional textbook type of way. And we don't quite think of it in the terms of its three dimensions and its other functions necessarily, or, you know, other muscles roles and stabilization or things like that. And so I would say um, from that perspective, we did a lot of teaching on that. And yeah, and then from the competitive athlete side, um, I am an IFBB professional physique athlete. And I started competing when I was uh, 2000 or in, in when I was 19, but it was in 2013. And in 2014, I turned pro and then I've kind of just been competing every once in a while in the IFBB since, um, kind of for fun. And more recently I've kind of gotten the itch to get back on stage. So we may or may not see me, uh, do something like that in the next couple of years. I love it, dude. That's a, it sounds like you've had quite a long off season too. Is that right? Yeah, it's been pretty long. Um, the last time I competed, it was 2016. So yeah, you could say it's been fairly long not that productive, um, in terms of physical stature, I don't think, but, um, productive nonetheless, in terms of like learning, becoming a way better coach, uh, becoming a better educator and doing things that are like closer to my heart in my like North star, if you will. And then I'd say from like a, a physique standpoint, I'm back on the kind of like the building train of trying to rekindle some of that tissue I may have lost and um or add upon any that I scraped by in the last few years I think I I just kind of wanted to highlight it because I think there's a lot of people who don't take enough time to actually take serious off seasons or just build muscle even if you're not getting on stage it's just like there's a there's such a a strong place to put maintenance and gaining phases inside of your year just to make sure that you're actually recovering fully from a metabolic from a muscle standpoint and then give yourself some time to gain i see so many people in my line of work because we work with much more general population versus physique specific athletes Um, we do work with them but just not as much not like you do and i see a lot of people that make this mistake in the general pop so i'd love to get your insight but they finally lose weight and they end up kind of in a skinny fat place and they're almost upset because what they got to weight wise wasn't what they thought it would look like. And it's like, this is why it's so important, especially with women. They don't, I I find they don't take the time to have off seasons, have maintenance phases and and just try to build muscle. Yeah. I see that 
all the time as well. I'd say most of my actually, we do, uh, we do coach competitors. Um, I would say my roster is more gen pop as well uh, than competitors uh, on like a ratio perspective. And yeah, it's, it is common to see more gen pop people disappointed um, to a degree with their current state of muscle uh, tissue and kind of coming in, you know, they may lose some weight, but it is, they, they will come in like kind of looking skinny fat, which no one wants to feel skinny fat because you basically just lose any size in terms of like mass that you had. And then you don't look any better from a physical standpoint other than like your clothes may be fitting better. Um, and so, or at least the perspective that I think a lot of gym pot people like want to lose body fat, obviously right? you know, they want six pack or they want to just look leaner. They want their shoulders to be capped off and yeah. be able to see maybe some veins in their forearms or, you know, like some, it's just those, those little like landmarks that people kind of search for, um, for progress. And if, if you just don't have enough tissue or don't have any tissue at all, um, you're not going to be as, happy or impressed with your results but yeah taking time to actually build muscle is a huge thing and um me coming from a, a lifetime natural backgrounds um opposed to what my trolling <laughs> says um i am a lifetime natural athlete and from a natural perspective like i've been gifted with genetics in a way that i do put on muscle fairly easily um and I can diet down to fairly low levels and look good on stage. But um, that obviously comes with its own pitfalls in terms of other things that maybe I wasn't blessed with uh, genetically. So um, you get the yin and the yang of life, I guess. Uh, but the why I mention that is like it's important uh, for you know gym pop people and like especially natural guys and even guys that are using that you spend time to go through not only gaining phases, but also maintenance phases that you are taking care of your health and you are making sure that, you know, the rest of your life is being taken care of. Like if you're in a relationship, that's being, uh, that's being nourished and, you know, making sure that your sleep's in a good place and your internal health, your blood, blood work looks good. And you're in an area that you can not only build muscle, but you're in a place where you could even, potentially like successfully lose body fat and look and improve your, your uh, body composition uh, in a way that's efficient and effective. Cause if you're not in a good health state, I mean, you're going to be fighting yourself most of the time. Dude, I, I could not agree more. It's actually, that's actually something I really harp on with a lot of my clients who are focused on aesthetics and just like, I don't know if you look at it this way, but if anybody, which I never get this, unfortunately, but if anybody ever trolled me and told me that I was on gear, I would take it as a compliment because I'm a natural as well. But that's just to me, like if somebody thinks you're on roids, man, like that just shows that you're putting in work and that <laughs> you've got a great physique. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, uh, it's kind of been, it's, I've changed my perspective over the years. It's kind of like, you know, when you're 19, 20 years old and you're kind of like, I'm 25 now. So it's, it's one of those things that, when you're younger, especially when I was younger, at least it's maybe a lot more hurtful to hear because you do kind of start to take an defensive stance of like, dude, how are you going to discredit my work like that? And 
also to the same degree, it's, it is a compliment and it is something now that's kind of just like, kind of give like a virtual nux, you know, it's kind of like, you'll see me post my story every once in a while, kind of like, I always be sure to, um, and I'm sure you've seen this, uh, but I'm, my mission with my career now is to make education over belittlement cool again, um, in a way that I just think we're in a state in the industry of like belittlement of ideas or people or, you know, principles are being kind of accentuated in a way that people are gaining a lot of popularity with put, like putting other people down or other ideas down or, yeah. um, you know, yeah, stuff like that. And so I just, I'm in a place where I just, I thoroughly think like education is going to win. Um, it's just in terms of constructively helping other people and lending a hand to a positive trend um, in a more positive light within people that are honestly just wanting help. And in terms of like people that are just reaching out for help or um, knowing that if someone does reach out and troll you, you, you got to understand that that has nothing, that has very little to do with you personally. It has a lot to do with them and their insecurities and them personally. And being sensitive and empathetic to that can really help you. And I try to share times that I, I'm able to do that. And sometimes like sometimes a lot of times I don't share it and it's just kind of like something that I deal with or, um, do through my DMS or emails or whatever. But sometimes like if I am being trolled or I, I do see this as a learning experience for other people, I will kind of screenshot it and like be sure that I, erase the person's name or cover it up because I'm not looking to shout like I'm not looking to because I do have like loyal followers that will go like troll that person and yeah rip them a new one and that's not my objective either nor would I ask anyone to ever do that um but I know that they'll do it regardless so I just want to protect the safety of that person but I want to use each of those interactions as a like a learning experience and a teaching experience that if you're willing to be patient and empathetic to someone else's position or insecurity, you can do so much for other people and you may or may not change the trajectory. Like you may be the person that gives them that positive spin that they needed to get over the hump, you know, cause you never know what is going on in someone else's life that made them say that or made them lash out in an insecure way towards you. And if you sit there and just dog on them, bash on them and then put them into public ridicule, like, the equivalent of like throwing virtual stones at them in like the city center, like that cannot be good <laughs> for their mental state. Yeah. Uh, and I can't see them coming out of the other end very like in any better place than, than they came in. So, you know, like I, and I know you do too. I talk to a lot of coaches and I help a lot of coaches grow themselves, grow their business, grow their coaching uh, philosophies and methods and so on, just kind of mentor them. And, I talk about these things so much with them and just the simple fact of just focusing on educating individuals. Like even if there's no immediate return, like just be patient and just, just focus on that. Like it's so important. And everything you said rings so true with what I believe in. And I think what other coaches need to understand so they can move forward. But man, I, and this wasn't something I plan on talking about, but I, now that we're going down this route and you mentioned a couple of times your age, 
I have to ask just because, so I'm 26 and I get looked at as young in the industry quite a bit. And yeah. I've been interviewed a few times and people ask me like, man, how have you grown your business so much at such a young age? And how do you look at life the way you look at life? Like it just, it's crazy to me that you're only 26. And as you're talking, that's what I'm thinking about you. I'm like, oh shit, I didn't know he was my age, let alone younger. Um, yeah. what, is there anything in your life that stood out that you've had experiences with or that you've learned or read or, or people you've mentored with that allowed you to act this way, think this way and behave this way at such a young age? Yeah, man, it's, it's kind of a, it's a culmination of just events, right? Which I guess that's the definition of life, but um, it's, it's just this culmination of events, this combination of, of different traumas and stresses and uh, points at which we like, I had to overcome. And a lot of it has to do with, um, I'd say my more introspective being uh, came from me running away from my own life uh, and uh, like going to school in England uh, for a bit and th- meeting my now wife when I was over there. And then when we, you know, we got back, we, we ran away to Australia, started a life there. And so like, I think it's just for me, it's been a, a learning experience of being able to take risk and bet on myself and learn within that. Um, and almost like, it's not that I on purpose don't take the safe route, but I on purpose bet on myself in a way that if I have, if any part of me wants to take a chance on that, then I believe, then I just truly believe that I am going to bet on myself and I'm going to win. Um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So, um, but as a whole, I think it's made me a lot better person. I think it's made uh, my rate of maturity that much greater uh, from a standpoint of, again, being 25, uh, but in a lot of rooms that I'm in, I'm, I'd say, one of the more mature ones in, in that the more experience in life that you you have, the more opportunity you have for growth. And like travel for me, for example, and I mentioned travel in the beginning because travel for me is I think this, this accelerated learning experience or this incubator for uh, accelerated growth as a person. And because you're put into this very uncomfortable situations quite frequently, um, especially when you travel to countries that don't, English isn't their first language. And as much as you want to assume that everyone knows English and should bow to you, that's not how the world works. And that's another lesson in and of itself, but um, learning that you're not that important in the sense of like the rest of the world. And you are, you got to figure out yourself. Like you got to figure this shit out. And in terms of like travel, it's been huge for me because it's allowed me to put myself and almost live. Like I've lived on three different continents and in, in my, you know, short life. And within that, it's like, each one of those experiences, you know, I, I like to, it's almost my goal to see how many lives I can live while I'm still here. And, you know, the life I've been able to live up to this point has been very, um, I'm very grateful for it because it, it's taken me through many seasons. It's taken me through many ups and downs, very, very, very low points, but very, very, very high points. And I spend a lot of time in the middle, um, in the middle of that, which I think is powerful, but Within all that, I think um, in terms of me becoming the person I am and how I think and how I observe, like I've always been an observant person since I was young and 
I think allowing myself to, again, bet on myself, take risk, win, lose, uh, sometimes draw. Uh, last year, for example, was a big learning and growing experience for me. Uh, there were some high points and there were some very, very low points. And I think within each opportunity, it's our kind of our duty to ourselves to unpack what went right, unpack what went wrong and see what lessons we can take from that experience. But I think more so than any of that is that you just keep going forward. Man, I love that. I was not, like I said, I was not expecting to go this route, but I think that's such valuable information. And again, I couldn't agree more with anything you just said. I, I've over my short life too, I haven't lived on three comp- continents, but I've traveled a lot and I've, I've done a lot of, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe them other than, other than like entrepreneurial retreats um, with other guys and kind of going through Wake Up Warrior and, and Resurrection Week and all these different yeah. things I did where you're kind of put in vulnerable positions to really reflect on life, to, to seek your why, to seek your purpose, to seek what's going on. And, and again, it all comes back, in my opinion, to stopping, uh, kind of collecting yourself and reflecting on what you've done, what you want to do the lessons you're learning from the, especially from the worst things that happen to you, man, is like, if you can constantly reflect, I think you can grow so much as a person. And um, I would love to, man, we might have to do a part two so we can dive into this as a whole, because I think it's, <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah. And I think a lot of people actually gravitate towards these podcasts because they end up really learning a lot. But um, as promised to my f- listeners, uh, we got to talk training, dude. You're, you're like, that's the- fine the physique development guy, literally. So I'm really interested in, in, on your thoughts on quite a few topics. Actually, when I went to write out, like what I wanted to talk about today, I was like, okay, I got to slow down. Cause there's so many things. I so much, yeah. Um, but let's start with, uh, let's start with the volume landmarks, man. I get asked about this all the time and there's kind of two camps that are like, I feel like there's the quote unquote evidence-based crowd, which I don't, I believe I'm a part of, but at the same time, I really do value anecdote and experience quite a bit so i kind of fall in the middle but i think it's hard because there's so much evidence that shows volume is the key driver to hypertrophy and the problem with it is is according to the research in theory it's just like the more the better literally so you have to take it with a grain of salt because that can't be true literally um so yeah i want to get your thoughts on all the recent research that's been coming out which i'm sure you're familiar with and then just like the volume landmarks as a whole which renaissance periodization mike is told kind of made popular which i really like how he categorized it um yeah. but i'm curious on your thoughts about like what we actually need with volume how you regulate it for clients and what you find is actually beneficial yeah so in terms of volume landmarks i think so one thing that uh, like Isertel is really good at and guys over at Renaissance Periodization and um, like even the Eric Helms and Greg Knuckles and the Mike's Ordoses of the world are so good at is like categorizing information and like disseminating research and how can we make this in any way useful um, and articulate that message to, to the main general population and make it have an impact. Uh, so in terms of volume landmarks and the work of uh, RP and, and Israel, I think I think those are amazing places uh, to use as just that they're named, like use them as landmarks and don't allow like it's not that you can't allow yourself to work outside of those because like depending on the person, like it, they could do better with even less volume depending on what what they need. Or I've seen even past the point of working past someone's like MRV, for example, 
in certain instances can can have a positive effect. And so um, obviously you have to to make sure that a lot of other things are in place if you're going to be working at that high volume. But um, and then there's everywhere in between. And so I think using those as a starting place for setting up your training is a really, really good thing to do. And then from there, adjust, calibrate, like recalibrate as you see, uh, as you see fit within your training program. So if you're someone that does your own training programming, um, or yeah, if you're just someone that does your own training programming, pay attention and like use things that we have in the research, use landmarks that are like guys that are over at RP have created to almost create a framework, if you will, or kind of like scaffolding of your programming. And then how does that feel? Like, do you notice that you're, you're overly sore in one muscle group, like, like your, your glutes or your quads, for example, just aren't up to the, the threshold or the work capacity of like your back or your chest or something. And it's like, okay, well, you know, the, the RP, the landmark book told me to do this, but I need to adjust because I just, I physically can't train, you know, I can't train glutes like this two or three times a week and feel like I'm making progress because I'm just constantly sore, constantly overworked and um, things like that. So it's like, you have to individualize all this information. And I think as a whole, like that's the biggest thing that I'm a proponent of is just individualizing information, individualizing the framework of, of everything. And, so we, we all have this kind of like general concept or general framework of how to build. Um, it's kind of like a building, for example, like they're building an apartment complex right next to me. Uh, so like I can look outside my window and see it. And to think, think about like how similar the construction or the framework is to the building that I'm in right now, because I'm, I'm watching like build the parking garage and it's so like eerily similar, like how it shapes, how, how it's being built. Like I can look at my parking garage and look at say like the foundation of that building is almost if not identical to this building I'm in, but how much different are the details within that building going to be than, than the building that I'm in, for example, if that makes sense, you know, cause like the foundation as a whole of the building is, or of your programming may look a lot like other people's, but manipulating volume per muscle group or manipulating how you, you know, maybe intensify something or put a detail on something else could be completely different and individualized to you. And that's, that's in no way wrong. So I think that's how I, I view the landmarks as uh, as framework, if you will. Do you, what are your thoughts on progressing that volume then? Because, and the reason I ask that is because, um, you know, like, just a classic linear progression model isn't a very aggressive approach to increasing volume, but it works. Obviously it's been around tried and true for years. Um, But then like, if you listen to, again, going back to Mike Israel, like he almost seems pretty aggressive with how he increases volume because they're adding sets per week Um, going. And it's very, very specific periodization of, of intensification accumulation, the whole process, right. Which not a lot of bodybuilders actually use. So it's, it's smart, but how much of this is good on paper and not an application? Yeah, and I think applying to like, again, Israel, and he's very open about it, is an enhanced athlete. And so it's something that you have to take with the grain of salt of understanding where Israel's coming from. Like the dude is a big, he's a big guy. And I would assume that he has a high work capacity for a lot. And 
on top of that, he does use PEDs. And so it's like, okay, what can we take from that? And so like, should I train like Mike Isertel? No, I'm not Mike Isertel. Should I train like Arnold? No, I'm like the size of Arnold's leg. And so it's like, I can't, we have to, again, use these, like, use these as framework and adjust accordingly to us. Now there's different, to answer your question, but there's a couple different schools of thought there in terms of like the linear periodizations and um, uh, how to progress week to week. And so if you got guys like, you know, you, we'll just stick with Isratel. Like you got guys like Isratel and then you got guys like uh, Minnell Hensemans, for example, who, you know, is a little different in his approach of thinking that it's what I understand of his theory is there's this kind of this optimal range of volume for everyone. Um, obviously that's within an individual. And so like some people optimal range will be a little lower. Some people's optimal range will be a little higher. So let's say, let's give that, let's give that a number. So 12 sets per week for one group. And you know, the other guy maybe takes 18 to 20 to 22 sets per week, uh, on some muscle groups to, to stimulate growth or see constant progression. So both the schools of thought are like, you got Isratel who is kind of in that linear periodization or linear progression phase of adding sets per week, adding volume, constantly adding, 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 and then deloading and then doing it all over again. And then you have a guy like uh, Minnow, for example, who to my understanding would take kind of like find that optimal range and then just stay. And he's, you know, he has his own views on deloads and things like that. And I've, I've been able to hear most of these guys speak and I've been around a lot of smart people. Um, and everyone I've noticed everyone has their own theories and everyone has their own kind of anecdotes and the way that they're reading the research, um, and kind of like extrapolating the data to the point where it's kind of like, it's kind of that confirmation bias on every end. Um, and it's, it's almost at fault, you know, it's like, as humans, we're at fault because our brain is constantly like, we're almost all like always in this confirmation bias phase of without knowing it. Like subconsciously, we always kind of want to be right, um, which makes sense. But some people's ego makes it a little worse to, to you know, to stand. But yeah, um, so, yeah go on. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. You're good. I, I, I sorry, sorry to interject, but I like what coming, what's coming to my mind is a couple things. Number one would be like, how important do you think uh, the psychology of an athlete is with this? Like just simply enjoying what the hell you're doing. Like a good example in my mind is I can remember like when Mike uh, or uh, Dr. Mike Zordos kind of like really started popularizing DUP mm-hmm. and I was like, cool, I'm going to give it a try. And for 12 weeks, I lifted three days a week and I just was then squat deadlift, then squat deadlift, just over and over again. And the days in between I would do some curls and sled pulls, like nothing crazy. My right. volume was absolutely lower than it's ever been. And I saw better gains on that program probably than anything I've ever done. Um, yeah. But that goes against the volume and, and, and I wouldn't do DUP right now because that doesn't match my lifestyle and my stressors and there's too much intensity in it. But yeah. at the time it matched like the intensity I could give cause I was younger. I didn't have the business yet. Didn't have a family yet. I could handle it. Um, and I was really, really amped up. Like I was fired up and excited to do it. So my effort inside of every training session was 
off the chart because I was so fired up to try this new system. Um, mm-hmm. So in my mind, I'm kind of thinking about everything you're saying and I agree with everything you're saying. And I think the hard part for people is that there are like low volume crowds that get ex- outstanding results and there's high volume crowds that get outstanding results. So how do we differ? It's like, to me, the psychology behind the person to allow them to adhere long-term and actually have fun with it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I agree with you there. And so like, I'm, I would say I'm more of the same, like with, and again, in terms of like how much volume someone needs, we can't forget. And I think this is something that hopefully is going to evolve. And I think it's catching on steam and it's something that, you know, I'm big on is, is execution and being able to actually create tension within a working muscle. And it's not that you're isolating working muscle. Like our bodies aren't created to isolate. Our bodies are created to, to integrate. And so, but just because that movement is integrated doesn't mean we can't start to bias muscle groups with intent or um, certain, certain execution, right? So by improving, by improving execution, we can improve and almost lower the need for excessive volume. You know, it's kind of like the more accurate are with the hammer, the less strikes you need with it, right? Yeah. Like you don't need 20 strikes with the hammer if you, if, you, if you can get it within five. So it's one of those things that the better you are at doing that and the better you get as like a, an athlete or, or a trainee, um, the more effective and efficient you get. And so as someone that spent the last five years really hammering execution and like I would say I'm quite good at it, it's something that I've noticed I need a lot less volume to stimulate growth or stimulate the response I'm looking to get or the adaptation I'm looking to get from training. And within a session, like, you know, I can, let's say I'm at 12 to 14 sets per week, which if we're looking at, you know, the research and all of that, that's what they tell like beginners and intermediates to do, um, mainly beginners. And for me, if, I'm hitting like 14 sets per week on a muscle group or 12 or something, I'm pretty taxed, man. I'm pretty beat. Like the tension I'm able to create, the, the, the accumulated fatigue I'm able to create within those, you know, four to five sets in a session, like quite great. And I create quite a bit of damage. And I think that can't be forgotten. And I, I think it's something that's not really talked about right now within all of these parameters, like within these frameworks, like within these volume landmarks, we're not... I think the missing puzzle piece within it is, okay, let's say if you're advanced, like, okay, if you're advanced, you got to do 18 to 20 sets per week. Well, maybe not though, because if you're someone that's, because advanced can be something different. So if you're someone that has been training a long time, yet you've given, you know, zero fucks about your execution and you haven't gotten any better at that over the years, but your body has taken this wear and tear and like worked up a, a sake of like, a sense of work capacity, then yeah, you may need 18 to 20 sets per week. But if you're able to refine your skill and, you know, put more load and tension on a, on a particular muscle during the, during the session, then who's to say that you don't need less. And it's kind of like, I just don't see that talked about much within like, if we're looking at like volume landmarks and stuff like that. And I think it's something that's super easy to kind of brush off because especially in the evidence-based community, it's, it's nearly impossible to, to research because everyone, it's so individualized that you can't take 
it's it'd be so 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 hard to take you know uh, a group of 20 to 30 people that you're able to muster up and find spend enough time with them to to really make their execution better get it to a place that you want it to be and then complete the study like you can't do that in practice yeah um or at least not up to this point and so it's one of those things like that's my view on it i I think um that's a missing puzzle piece but i think from an individualistic perspective um I, i think that it needs to be taken as that and there are like for myself again like again i i'm a lower volume moderate volume guy and like i do have weeks where i'll go higher volume or um yeah i'll have weeks where i'll go higher volume but again like it's only for a shorter period of time where i can i can withstand that and then looking at the psychology um looking at the psychology of the 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 general population person or even the athlete like i i like to bust ass during my session but i honestly don't find enjoyment in being overly sore and overly fatigued going into the rest of my day because, or the rest of my week, because like, like yourself, like I'm a super busy guy. I got a lot going on. I can't be like, if I had a, such a crazy workout that I can't form a thought for the next two days, like my business is going to suffer and my happiness is going to suffer. And my ability to be there for my, for my wife or for my family or, you know, like all of these other things that happen within our lives like I'm not just, I'm not someone that's willing to sacrifice the quality of the rest of my life just to maybe put on like two more pounds of muscle in my lifetime. So. I like that, yeah. man. I think that's good too, coming from you. Cause it, it just holds more water, you know, like, because you do have a, an impressive physique and you have built um, a following based off of hypertrophy and execution and these things. So hearing you say that, I think goes a long way. And it's funny too, because the, one of the first things I thought of was exactly what you said. I was like, well, you can't put it in the study because it's, there's so much skill behind proper. So much skill. Yeah. Um, and just knowledge behind the anatomy of how joints mm-hmm. and muscles work together. So I think it's really important for people to like take the skill and that can't happen in research. And then the problem with like volume versus execution, it's like, well, I can do more sets and see this immediate return, or I can practice execution for three months and then start progressing. And, it's, and people can have that mindset of, of uh, impatience, and then now they won't see that progress, so they won't do it. But I think it's it's cool too because so two people that come to mind when I think of execution are uh, Ben Pakulski is one because he's always been like very very big on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, mountain dog, John Meadows talks about like volume, isn't the key. Like it's more about effort and, and finding the activation in a muscle. And he has, he's big on exercise sequencing. And I agree with both of them. The problem with it is there's not a lot of naturals talking about this. There's a lot of naturals talking about volume, but I, yeah. I was, I was talking to Jeff Alberts from 3DMJ and he was talking about this and he said it really well. He's like, well, if I'm doing a bicep curl and my fourth and fifth set are so hard, cause I'm trying to hit my volume landmark that I'm shrugging up and my elbows are taking pain. Now my, my muscular fatigue is spreading across different muscles other than just the localized bicep and it's more intensity. So neurologically you're being taxed, right? Whereas metabolically. Yeah, exactly. And if you stopped at three sets and you keep all that tension, the muscle, your nervous system is going to easily recover and your volume is actually staying there. Um, Right. And that's junk volume, right? That's like the, that's like definition of junk volume. Yep made popular by again, RP and, and Israel. And so I'm not like, 
I'm a very, <laughs> what's the saying? Like I'm, I'm Switzerland. Like I'm, I'm probably the most neutral guy you'll ever meet. Like I'm not one way or the other on really anything other than what seems logical. So, and I'm very open-minded. So in saying like, I'm not like downing RP or Isertel, I think they're very innovative and very helpful to the, to the industry. So in saying that, I think it's very important to make distinctions and, you know, like a legend, like Jeff Alberts, like you can't discredit that experience and that anecdote um, because it logically does make sense. So yeah, it's incredible. I'm with you, man, on all that. I think that's, that's a perfect way to summarize it. Um, Going into frequency, like I always tell people, like once we find your volume kind of threshold or that, that kind of zone for your volume, frequency is really just an adherence tool. Like how can we better adhere to the amount of volume you need while you enjoy it? Mm -hmm. Do you have 40 minutes in the gym or an hour and a half in the gym? Do you have three days a week in the gym? Do you have six days a week? But I'm just curious of like two ways of looking at this question. Like what do you find most helpful for clients? Like what is your common client need frequency wise? And then in a perfect world, you have the perfect client with no adherence issues. What are you setting up their program to be frequency wise? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, in, in my questionnaire, like in my onboarding process, I ask a lot, I ask a lot of questions, but one of those questions is kind of like, how hard do you want to work? How intense do you like your sessions to be? What makes you feel like you got a good workout? Um, and depending on the answer, like I have guys that'll come in, even females, I have females that come in as well that are just like, I want to feel like I just got hit by a truck and I want to be dripping in sweat and if I have anything left in the tank, I feel like I failed. And it's, so I take that and I also will take my background in, you know, logical thinking and psychology and kind of start to dig deeper and like, okay, why is that? What, not only why, like, why is that the purpose? Like, so if I talk, when I, when I talk to him on the phone, it's kind of like, tell me a little bit more about where this, where do you think this came from? And cause you know, there is a, like the, there's that point of diminishing returns of, just outworking yourself in a sense of like like your recovery capacity. Mm -hmm. So, but there's also a a sense of like a person enjoying their training. And so for me, it's a lot, a lot of what I program has to be based on the feedback I get from clients or like how they answer those initial questions. So if it's someone that says like, Oh, I just love to get, I know I love to know I'm doing the right thing then. Okay. I'm most likely going to, depending on their, also I have to take a look at how advanced they are as a trainee. And so are they a beginner? Do they have, what is their uh, like work capacity per, uh, like per muscle group, for example, or their work capacity per, um, just per their systemic abilities. So like, you know, are even down to like, have they, if not their systemic capabilities to recover or deal with stress is probably because past the point of them sitting at a desk and walking around and maybe taking the stairs every once in a while because the elevator is broken, their body hasn't been that stressed. And so I can't go in hitting 15 to 18 to 20 sets per week uh, and expect them to uh, be, be well off in terms of progressing or recovering from that. And even to the sense of talking about frequency is I also, the earlier on you are in your journey, I think the higher the frequency should be in the sense of being able, again, to recover because to do more damage than you can recover from is quite counterintuitive. Um, In our heads, it's like, yeah, I want to outwork, I want to outwork, I want to outwork. But if we're thinking of like, 
I said this analogy on the phone to do a, a client. It was, it was like, it's doing more work than you recover from is like hiring a demolition crew and a construction crew at the same time, but you've employed more demolition. And so as people are building, there's more demolishing happening. Like there's just what just got built. There's more guys than you can keep up with to coming in with sledgehammers and just breaking it all down. And that's how I view it in the sense of like, we have to have a good ratio of both. We have to have enough trauma, for example, to then be able to have the recoverability or recovery capacity to then not only recover from that, but also have enough to rebuild, uh, rebuild and build on top of that. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I, I can just feel myself getting off on a tangent. So um, what I'll do is I'll rein it in and just say that it's very dependent on how the person answers the questionnaire. And it's also very dependent on how that person, where that person's coming from, have they been training? If they have, how, how often have they been training? How many sets per week have they been doing? Um, and like, what's the recoverability? How, how, like how high is their ability to recover? And I'll just take it from there. But I'd say in a, in a, in a perfect world, I can only speak on myself, for example, just because like, the jury's still out on, on clients because a lot of their feedback is still not very reliable. Um, it's reliable to the sense of that's what they feel, but it's not reliable to the sense of like, this is probably what's actually happening. Right. But you can only take face value for what's, you know, what the client says. And so you got to adjust and make sure they're recovering and progressing and that's your job. But to speak on myself, I think um, for me, I really enjoy hitting a muscle group twice per week that allows me to, to train the muscle group really hard or hard enough, but I'm not to the point of fatigue that it starts, like I said earlier, like it starts to affect the rest of my life. And so with hitting a muscle group two times per week for me allows me to hit, you know, those volume landmarks for myself, but also it allows me to also manage fatigue it allows me to auto-regulate. So if one day, you know, let's say like on like Monday and Wednesday, I'm hitting the same muscle group or Monday, Thursday or whatever on Monday, if I'm not feeling great because I had a long weekend of work or whatever, I can auto-regulate that and just be like, okay, well today I'll just hit kind of like the bare minimum on it. And then hopefully by Thursday, I feel a lot better. And if Thursday I feel a lot better, it's kind of just like, all right, let's fucking crush it. Like I'm here to work. And I may go over what I typically would in a session, but because I auto regulated on Monday, it's kind of evened itself out, if that makes sense. So Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm kind of in the same camp. And and like in advanced scenarios or even for myself personally, at certain times of the year when I know like stress is lower, I can go to like a push pull legs or even like an upper lower, uh, but six days a week with like shorter sessions. Um, but that even like three times a week I can only take for so long. Yeah, it's just it's too much, man. Especially for an especially for like a natural a natural guy. It's just it's a lot to handle. And you have to again, you have to start to separate yourself from a, a point where I'd like to think like it's it's kind of this badge of honor, I think, that social media has given us of like yeah. what can I endure and how can I set my like how can I be an anomaly anomaly? and like set myself apart from the rest. And so like, it's like the made popular guy that can eat 6,000 calories and stay shredded or the guy that can do 
death workouts every day and look shredded and seem like he's got his shit together. And it's like kind of these badges of honor we take and that we'd like to show the world. But when it comes down to it, like <laughs> I'd like to think my metabolism is crazy and I could eat however much I wanted and stay super shredded, but that ain't the reality of the situation. And so I have to own that. And I also have to own the fact that I can't recover from everything. And so I have to be able to reel it in and come in with a level head if I'm going to keep this thing going long term and think about my shelf life as an athlete, think about my shelf life as a as just a trainee and a lifter, because you know, I, I see these older guys, like I see guys in their 70s and 80s in the gym, and it's like I'm more inspired by that than I am the bodybuilder next to me just annihilating himself. Yeah. Because it's like, I'm not interested in what that guy's doing. I'm interested in looking like that 75 year old over there that has like, you know, like delt caps. I'm like, that's inspiring to me. And so if I can have fun competing and test my limits competitively and mentally with competing and lifting and stuff as I grow up, because it's, and as I go through life, because it's taught me so much about myself. But I also at the same time have to realize that I have a longevity goal within it. And I can't always just be an idiot and train like an asshole and expect myself to recover. Cause like at the end of the day, again, like genetically I can, rec like I'm pretty well off and I can recover from a lot, but knowing what I know, it's kind of like, Ooh, do I want to do that? Do I, am I sacrificing that for this or should I just kind of reel it in, reel in my ego, allow that person to take the W on that day of like, you know, they deadlifted however much weight for an AMRAP. And I'm just like, nuts, man. <laughs> like, it looks like you hurt your back there. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and leave. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do that because it looks like you're going to be re recovering from that for a couple of weeks. So uh, it's kind of like a longevity game for me as well. Yeah, man, I, I recently had surgery on my knee and it's taught me quite a bit about this just because, I mean, I didn't train my legs for four months because of it and then getting back into things last week was my first like actual week of training legs again it's just like humbling to be in the gym and seeing what people are doing and i'm over here like struggling to like do bfr bodyweight squats to a box you know and it's just like murder but it, it's it's definitely humbling and it's i think everybody just has to think about longevity in general and, and i probably could have avoided the knee surgery if i would have been smarter about recovery in my earlier uh, years of training and, and it's a little bit of soccer too, but just rehab and mobility and things like that and taking care of my body in general. Cause long story short, my meniscus has been torn for like five or six years. <laughs> I just been just working through it. Cause I didn't know. Wow, Yeah. That's it's been brutal, man. <laughs> yeah. But finally it's fixed. I'm, I'm on it, but um, totally agree with everything you're saying. And I can relate hundred percent. But um, as we kind of go through all these things, man, like I'm curious about exercise sequencing within your programming. It's, it's something that I, I definitely value with the, like the mountain dog protocol and stuff. I've tweaked it quite a bit inside of my own training for the people I work with, but it's something I found over the years that I work, I use with everybody. I don't care if it's a 70 year old trying to just be healthy an athlete, a, a physique per, sport person, um, a CrossFitter, like everybody I program for, I end up sequencing exercises in a certain way uh, based on energy systems, joint health, so on and so forth. And I'm just curious as, as to if you, focus on this and like what your thoughts are on that. I mean, after we talked about frequency, uh, volume, I wanted to touch on like 
power work and, and that's role inside of physique athletes. But I think this kind of ties that in with the exercise sequencing. Um, but I'm always curious about that stuff. Cause one question I get from a lot of clients is like, Hey, if the gym is busy, can I like do five a before one a, because I really need to like keep moving and the squats, the squat racks taken. And I'm like, no, you can't like, there's a reason <laughs> these things are yeah. here for a reason, but I'm just curious your thoughts on that topic. Depending on the, yeah. And so my answer, I would say from a simplistic level is what's your goal. Um, and so if it's like body comp related, or I just want to put some muscle on, I really don't have an issue with exercise sequencing. Um, I've, like to a degree of potentiation, right. Of it's probably smart from a, a readiness perspective that like if, if you've, for example, like programmed in some more, warm up sets of leg extension before you squat or warming up surrounding muscle groups around those joints before you, before you deadlift or squat, for example, in a particular program. And then it's kind of like, well, all that was taken. So I just went in straight ahead and started doing it without warming up at all, or doing any of our um, previous protocols that have kept us healthy this long. And then I end up hurting myself. Then I start to see, you know, an issue there, but, um, or at least you can do something. To, to warm up for those movements. But in terms of like, depending on your goal, I would say in terms of exercise sequencing for myself um, and how I do it for clients and how like strict I am on it is if we're in like a neurological or strength-based phase and we're trying to potentiate the nervous system and we're trying to train the nervous system, it's ideal you do that in a certain way and you are able to like every rep is training of your nervous system, especially if we're working at higher intensities. So like percentages of our, uh, one RM. And so, you know, each rep is a, is an opportunity for your nervous system to learn, to, to coordinate movement, to figure out what fibers are going to fire. Like there's so much going on, uh, during that type of training, that's super high intensity, very heavy load. Um, so in terms of that, then yes, I, I think sequencing really does matter. And so like, if you're meant to squat that day, for example, and the squat rack's taken and you're going to hit your, your sets of leg extension first, then I don't think that's smart because you've used a lot of your nervous system to basically do stuff that isn't quite as important as that squat was, um, for this phase. Cause like the goal of the phase is to, okay, if we want to build up strength in our squat and our deadlift, well, those are important. Those are the most important things we're doing this for the next four weeks. So you better figure out a time where you can go to the gym where you have a squat rack or a deadlift platform. Cause like, that's our main focus. We're spending most of the workout doing that. Um, and so in terms of exercise sequencing for me or for clients, it kind of depends what their goal is, what their phase, the phase of training they're in and how we can best work around it. Uh, I also, get information from clients of like how busy is your gym. Um, and if, if they do have a busy gym, then we have to work around that. And I try to do my best from a programming perspective to try and facilitate anything that I can or give them a foresight into, Hey, if this is taken, um, let's do this first before going to that sort of advice. But I would say to answer your question, um, I think, if your goal is body comp or hypertrophy, I personally, and again, like I could be wrong here, but I personally past the point of like something being doing the more 
neurologically challenging thing first in the sense of like difficulty, I think is the more beginner you are is probably smart because let's say a beginner should probably start the workout with squatting while they're fresh and not fatigued because the risk of injury is a lot lower. But if you're advanced, you can squat under fatigue probably just fine. And so that also like the skill level of the, of the client or the skill level of the athlete, like I think heavily should weigh into how you sequence things or how strict you are with it. I agree hundred percent, man. I think, I definitely think that the closer you are to the more neurologically taxing and strength-based work, it's more important just from a safety perspective. Um, I find a little bit like people's joints might move better and more effectively. And the only other thing I can think of is like, if somebody skips ahead to do lateral raises, and then comes back to their bench press, but their deltoids are fatigued. I see a, actually, you know what? I could be wrong with that. Cause my first reaction is I see a problem with that. Cause now our, our delts are a little too activated and it might throw off our bench. But then in the same sense is like with all the failing research on pre-fatiguing a muscle before a compound, it's kind of like, well, is that a good thing? Cause then your shoulders aren't working as hard and your chest will actually do the job. Right. Well, yeah. And that's, again, that's a thing you have to think about that. You have to consider it. And then also you have to consider how someone, again, you have to consider execution there because do, is someone able to really, really bias their chest where their delts honestly are there as an assisting muscle group or a synergist and they're not really a prime mover in a, in a press? Um, because the better my execution got, the more I had to give a shit about my lateral raises, my rear delt training, my shoulder training, um, because the better I got it, actually biasing my my chest or my pecs or that which division i want to train in my chest while i'm pressing the more i like the better i got at that the more my muscle groups that have always been a strong point on my body started to become lagging muscle groups because for example as soon as i knowing what i know now almost every row i ever did was an upper back rear delt biased row and i although like I had some lats, I rarely contracted, like I rarely used my lats as a prime mover in any row. Like they were there as like a stabilizing force or like uh, an assisting, like an assisting muscle group in a, in, a, in a row movement, for example, like you can't just discredit or count them out. But as a whole, like thinking back to like the way and like watching old videos from like five years ago, four years ago and watching myself, and I guess that's a cool thing about Instagram is you can kind of go back and watch yourself of like what you used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my rowing, for example, used to be like upper back rear delt biased. And I had these, you could tell in my physique, like people are like, wow, man, do you train traps? And I'm like, no, they're just kind of naturally like this. And like, wow, man, you have such cap delts. Like, what do you do? And it's like, honestly, no, nothing. I don't really train rear delts. So I thought, <laughs> and it's just like almost every back workout I was training rear delts, like at least half the time. Um, <laughs> at least biasing my rear delts. And so, you know, I had this big upper back and these rear delts and it's just like, well, I, you know, I, I'm just genetically blessed, I guess. I don't really train them. And it's like, also I had these, you know, I, I have bigger arms in the sense of like, I rarely ever trained arms. And it's like, now I'm realizing that I mainly use biceps and upper back and rear delts to row instead of using like my lats at all. And so it's kind of like, you start to see these correlations over time of how you're training uh, particular muscle groups. And so in terms of like the sequencing of things, you know, if you are 
really good at execution and you're really good at biasing muscle groups and just using the synergist as a synergist instead of assisting your prime mover, like delts in a press, for example, like you, I mean, it's not going to have as big of an effect. Um, obviously if you like pre fatigue and like completely wipe out your triceps in a press, you're going to have some issues because your tricep athlete has a huge job in stabilizing the elbow and the shoulder joint. So those are pretty big and a pressing movement. Um, if you ask me, so you have to be smart about it, but in terms of like things like shoulder training before chest, it's kind of like, again, what's your goal? If it's not a strength-based phase, like, does it really matter? Like, you're still getting work done. You're still burning calories. You're still doing damage to a muscle. Like you're still going to recover from that. So at the end of the day, like that may not look as good on paper, but are you actually wrong? Yeah, absolutely. Row- rowing is a great example of that too, because it's, like literally just barely changing the shoulder and elbow angle of a row can completely redistribute where you're targeting a muscle. So I think that's a great analogy to use with this. Um, This might be, I guess it kind of works. I was going to say it's kind of an off the wall question, but I think it can transition. Well, I was asked on a podcast how um, much I believe or follow the muscle and strength pyramids by Eric Helms inside my coaching. And I started by saying, it is like the Bible of, of coaching. I think every coach should read it. It's a fantastic book, the way they categorize things. I've read it multiple times. Um, immediately bought the hard copy as soon as they came out those, just so I could have them, yeah, on, it my, yeah. <laughs> just so I could have them on my desk. But um, I love it. But I told them, I was like, you know what? Like the only time I change things is based on adherence. So for example, I believe calories, macros, micros, meal timing supplements. I, I believe that categorization. However, I, I do know that sometimes meal timing needs to come down towards the bottom because they can't adhere to their calories or macros based on their meal structure or intermittent fasting or their schedule. So we need to use these tools that are at the top of the pyramid in order to better adhere to the bottom of the pyramid. And I find that with uh, the training side as well, like tempo and uh, rest intervals and things like that are way at the top. However, if a person doesn't know proper execution, pause reps, tempo training, negatives, things that in theory, don't really make a big difference because volume trumps, they become very important because the person doesn't even know how to properly execute uh, an exercise to enhance muscle or to save their joints. Um, So I guess I'm curious if you agree with that and if that's something that you would like change about the pyramid in some individuals. Yeah. And I think as you finish that sentence, you said in some individuals and the keyword there being individual, because every person is an individual and every person comes from a different backgrounds. down to what sports did they play growing up? Like, are they explosive within different types of movements? Um, what type of training or movement patterns were they in growing up or throughout, throughout their formative years? So that, that would give you some insight into things to pay attention to. But in terms of, in terms of like the pyramids and the structure of things, man, I, I think honestly, Eric is one of my favorites. Uh, Eric Helms is one of my favorite people in this space because he's a critical thinker and although he's heavily entrenched and probably one of the forefathers of like evidence-based practice um he's also willing to say when it's not quite there yet or he's he's willing to he's willing to combat it in the sense of like well yeah the, the the research does say that but i don't know you know it's kind of like mm Maybe, but I still, I've seen, I've still seen this work and there's still a, there's still a component to, um, 
there's still a component to critical thinking and there's still a component to using anecdote and, and experience and all of these things. And I think to the root of it, looking at the muscle and strength pyramids, looking at volume landmarks from RP, like these are all frameworks. These are all scaffolding and the minutia, the detail, the sequence of events, like as the person, the more, inter, like the more beginner and intermediate, the more you should probably stick to the muscle and strength pyramid uh, sequence of events or level of uh, hierarchy of importance and like the volume landmarks hierarchy of importance. But as that individual becomes more intermediate advanced or at least more comfortable with the concepts and is getting better at movement, movement patterns and things like that, it's like, it's almost all out the window now. And it's kind of, it is up to the coach and like, I think Eric's actually said that before in the sense of he said something similar into the sense of all these stuff, all these, all these landmarks and all these hierarchies are, are starting places for us to, to build upon. And honestly, it's the point of like it advanced, more advanced trainees or more advanced athletes. Like it's kind of a, an open book on what could happen. And so I think we could stick to the foundations of the structure and make sure, make sure we're not getting too far off track or down a rabbit hole of like being non-productive, but to the same degree, it's, it's important that we're having these pioneer moments of, Hey, let's try this. Hey, let's try this. Hey, let's try this. Um, based on the individual, because that's how we've even gotten to this point today. So I think it's important to follow these frameworks and the scaffolding, use them as starting points and use them as evidence-based practice and approach. But as a whole, I think you shouldn't be scared to progress upon that or maybe do something that you believe or have seen in the anecdote um, or through your experience. So that's my take on it. I love it, dude. I, I think I could literally go on about this for two more hours, but I got to respect our time. Um, I, I literally have, a, I mean, you saw the list. I have so many <laughs> yeah. things that we could go into. So we'll probably have to do a round two because it's, I always love talking to people that are fellow coaches who share all the same philosophies, man, but, it, but you have a different way of articulating it. You have a different way of applying it, which teaches me a ton and it teaches the listeners a ton. And I think that's a good lesson for people is me and Austin, before we even started recording, we were talking about um, selfishly loving podcasts just so we can talk with other coaches. And I think it's just so powerful to learn from others, man. Like I, I can't tell you how many, and you're probably the same, how many books I've read, how many certifications I've done and how many workshops I've, or seminars I've been to learning something that I already quote unquote know but just because I want to hear somebody else articulate it. And I think people need to gravitate towards more of that because education is the strongest tool that we have to better ourselves and better others, man. So I appreciate everything that you've, that you've touched on. And I appreciate all the work you do in the community, man. I think it's, I really, really respect people like you because you'd put out so much good content that people would be like, why are you doing this for free? And I'm the same way. And I think I think it's really important, man. I think it's a smart business model too, but I think it's really, really important to give more than, than you expect. So thank you for doing that, man. And I have one more question for you before we jump off the podcast. It is the personality question, which I'm actually changing. So background story on this for those listening. When I first started the podcast, I had a, a uh, personality question about flying on a plane across the world. And then we changed it to the dinner table with three individuals that you could choose anybody. But then I was interviewed on the OPEX podcast and he had the same personality question as me. So I felt like I needed to change it. <laughs> so um, mm -hmm. I've added some things and you probably already thought about this because I sent it to you, but here's the situation. You were on a plane flying across the world. 
which means you have a really long flight. You can choose. I've done this a few times. So I I get, yeah, I get it. Oh, you do get this. Yeah. I forgot you've lived on multiple continents. So you probably already know. Um, You can choose one book to read one album to listen to, not an artist, but just an album uh, and two people to sit next to Mm -hmm. dead or alive, but they cannot be friends or family. Who are your passengers? What's the book and what is the album in your headphones? Um, so this is uh, such a deep question. Uh, so in terms of my one book to read, I, the most recent book that I've had um, that's been very influential for me and how I interpreted it was uh, Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. And I think for me, that was a book that allowed me the insight into, which is the point of him making it, but him asking the same eight questions or seven or eight questions to, you know, hundreds of legends in this, in this world. Um, you know, everyone from like Sean White to like the Dalai Lama to Tony Robbins to, um, you know, like David Beckham to like Richard Branson, you, you name it. He asked the questions to these guys and everyone came up with a different response yet. They all kind of had the same theme within it. So I think if I could constantly reread a book, it's going to have to be Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss, um, especially on a long flight like that. Yeah. One album to listen to. Um, so I'm in between. Um, Mumford and Sons is my favorite band, but I'm in between Sai No More and Babel being my favorite albums um, from them. Uh, so that's a pretty hard one. I'll probably have to go with uh, Sign No More just because it has like the cave on it, which is a, such a landmark song. Um, I, so I think Sign No More is their, their first album. It's a great band, man. I right, do. We're keeping this real and raw because that'll be way too hard to edit out. But we almost made it through the whole fucking podcast. Long story short, guys, I'm still in an Airbnb. We said the connection might not work and we almost got through the entire thing. But you mentioned Mumford and Sons. You're going to Ireland to go listen to them? Yeah, they're performing at uh, Malhide Castle in Ireland, and um, they're playing with Dermot Kennedy, which is our favorite other other favorite artist, performing artist. He's they're both folk indie type music, and um, Dermot is actually Irish, uh, and kind of had a breakout year last year. And so, if you haven't heard Dermot Kennedy, D E R M O T Kennedy, uh, it, it's definitely well worth the listen. He's got a unique voice and very powerful voice, and um, but yeah, that, those are our favorite musicians and they happen to, um, kind of start out as a joke of like, we saw Mumford posted, Hey, we're we'll playing with Dermot at Malhide Castle in Ireland, in Dublin, Ireland, uh, in June. And it was one of those things like <laughs> my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, dude, what, what if we went to this? And, uh, it was kind of, I didn't say anything. I just kind of stayed in bed. She got out of bed, got some coffee and. I was kind of in bed, just kind of messing around um, like we do on the internet and on Instagram or whatever. And I was like, you know what? How about I look at tickets and see what tickets would be to Ireland? And um, cause she'll be coming back from, from another country and she's going to meet me there. But uh, it, it, I was like, I found a flight for cheap, but I'm like, what if we did this? Like, what if we just met there? Cause she'll be on her way back from, from somewhere else. And so she won't even be at home. And so I'll be, I'll be home alone. I'll, I'll like, so I'll just meet her in Ireland. And I was like, let's, let's just do this. Um, and so, yeah, we just spontaneously bought tickets and 
kind of just was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, we're going to see, uh, <laughs> so we're going to see them. So that'll be super fun. Um, actually some friends are going with us. So I'm really excited about that. And, uh, in terms of my passengers, uh, that's a hard one. Um, so I think, I think one of them probably would have to be, uh, would have to be like Tim Ferriss because I think he is the gateway into so many other conversations because of the way, like how he's modeled his life. Not only is like kind of this human guinea pig quote unquote, but obviously as if not the most popular, one of the most popular podcasts there is and like talks to just absolute legends and people that are innovating each and every industry and so I think an insight into all of those people is kind of like peeking inside of Tim's head and like, Hey, what do you think about this? Or yeah. and I, I like how experimental um, Tim is and in the sense of like Tim, like, I don't know, not a lot of people know, maybe they do. I don't know, but like Tim Ferriss has been a, a huge investor into uh, making like psychedelics, like doing funding research into psychedelics and, its role in uh, helping anxiety and depression and um, in like just Denver just passed the law of uh, mushrooms being legalized and um, obviously to use responsibly like you would anything else, but um, same as marijuana, which we've seen to be quite a positive in, uh, in terms of our ecosystem here. And so, cause I live in Colorado. Um, and so, you know, I, I just think Tim's an interesting dude. Uh, so that's one of them. I think I would just have great conversations. Uh, and I think the other one, I'm just coming off this off the cuff. I actually thought about Tim, but without thinking, probably like a Joe Rogan again, just because he's fucking funny and he's out there and he doesn't take life too seriously. And I just think it'd be funny. Like I, I, so those are my two. I, I think I'd have a hell of a conversation between listening to that album, reading that book, and having those two guys sit next to me. Like I, the conversation, and I think the questions that Joe would ask Tim Ferriss would be yeah. like hysterical to me. Um, and I think their interaction and interchange would be hilarious. That's what I was gonna say too. They're both just collectives of so much information from so many different people. I think it would be such a productive and fucking hilarious. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be incredibly funny. Um, so, yeah, does that answer all the questions? That does, man. That that wraps it up. So, uh, dude, once nice. again, thank you for coming on, man. This is awesome. We'd, we're definitely going to have to do this again. I'm going to have Tori reach out to you and set up another one. So this was, this was a lot of fun, and I think we could go a million different directions. Um, and shit, dude, next time I, I'm – so one of my coaches lives in Colorado, and my plan is eventually get out there and actually do a, a seminar at this gym that she's uh, – she trains at and stuff so when i'm out there i will let you know i have some other friends up there uh, joseph with cured and stuff like that so um we'll definitely link up when i'm out there next time but um for the listeners man drop everything that you have available so they can follow you they can tune in i i just recently saw that you started doing youtube a little bit more again um because i saw it upload or something like that i was checking you out so your youtube your instagram facebook website all that good stuff um podcast that's going to be launching soon drop all your links so everybody can uh gravitate towards you yeah. So Instagram, um, I'm on Instagram the most. So Instagram is just my name, Austin current. Um, 
in terms of website is physiquedevelopment.com. In terms of YouTube, if you're looking to search physique development. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's basically where you're going to find me most of the time is uh, again, mainly on Instagram. And then you can find those other things from my Instagram. So if you're actually interested in learning anything from me or just saying hello, just come find me there. Love it, man. I'll link all those in the show notes, dude. And uh, once again, thank you for coming on. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.